are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and commenting on Maria Vagrada's Mystical City of God, four volumes over 2,500 pages of mystical revelations about the life of Jesus and Mary. There is a new Facebook group that I created called The Mystical City of God in a Year, and uh, this group allows you to have conversations and to comment with questions on each day. And so really it was some listeners who contacted me and said they would really like that. And so that's available. I encourage you to go over to Facebook to find the group. We'll put a link in the show notes. Today is day 20 of our reading, and we continue our reading from chapter 11, and we'll begin at paragraph number 147. And today we'll read through paragraph 163. In order not to be detained too much in that, which the Lord has revealed to me regarding this, and in order to arrive at the preparations which the Lord made for sending to the world the incarnate word and his most holy mother, I will rehearse these mysteries succinctly according to the order given in the holy scriptures. Genesis contains that which concerns the beginning and the creation of the world for the human race, the division of the earth, the chastisement and the restoration, the confusion of tongues and the origin of the chosen race humbled in Egypt and the many other great sacraments revealed to Moses by God, in order that we may be led to know his love and the justice towards men from the beginning, drawing them to his knowledge and service, and to foreshadow that which he has resolved to do in the future. The book of Exodus contains what happened in Egypt with the chosen people, the plagues and punishments, which God sent in order to rescue them, their departure and march through the sea, the written law given with such great preparations and wonders, and many other great sacraments which the Lord provided for his people, visiting now their enemies, now themselves with afflictions, chastising their enemies with the severity of a judge, correcting the Israelites with the benignity of a father, and teaching them to appreciate his benefits by sending severe hardships. He worked great wonders with the staff of Moses, which prefigured the cross, on which the incarnate word was to be sacrificed as the lamb, a salvation to many, a ruin to others. Luke 2.34 It was like the staff of Moses, and like the Red Sea, the waves of which shielded the people and annihilated the Egyptians. Thus he filled the lives of the saints with joys and sorrows, with hardships and with comforts, with infinite wisdom and providence. He symbolized in them the life and the death of Christ, our Lord. In the book of the Levites, he describes and ordains many sacrifices and ceremonies of the law for placating the divinity. For they were to point out the Lamb, which was to be immolated for all men. And they are pointed out also ourselves, immolated to the majesty of God in reality, as was prefigured in these sacrifices. It also describes the vestments of Aaron, the high priest, and the type of Christ, although Christ was not to be of that inferior order, but of the order of Melchizedek. The book of Numbers describes the wanderings of the Israelites in the desert, prefiguring what was to happen with the Holy Church, with the only begotten as man, and with his most holy mother, and also with the rest of the just, who in different aspects were prefigured in the column of fire, in the manna, in the rock, giving forth water. It contains also other great mysteries, which are comprehended in the events there recorded. Likewise, the mysteries pertaining to numbers, in all of which deep secrets are hidden. Deuteronomy is like a second law, a repetition of the first, 
but given in a different way and prefiguring more closely the law of the Gospels. For as, according to the hidden judgments of God and according to the propriety known to his wisdom, the incarnation of the Son was to be deferred. He renewed and rearranged these laws in order that they might be more like to those which he was to establish in his only begotten. Jose, or Jesus, Nave, conducts the people of God into the promised land. This is the book of Joshua, take note. He divides the Jordan to allow the passage of the multitudes, achieves great things, typifying plainly the Redeemer as well in name as in deed. His history represents the destruction of the kingdom of the devil, the separation and the division of the good and the bad, which will happen in the last day. After Josue, when the people had already come into the possession of the promise and wished for land, which primarily and appropriately signifies the church acquired by Jesus Christ through the price of his blood, comes the book of Judges. These were ordained by God for the government of his people especially during the wars, which on account of their sins and idolatries were waged against them by Philistines and other neighboring enemies. For these, God freed and delivered them whenever they returned to God by penance and amendment of life. In it are also related the deeds of Deborah, while judging the people and liberating them from great oppression. Also those of Jahel, who helped them to victory, mighty and courageous women both, all these deeds of history prefigure and illustrate what was to happen to the church. After the generation of the judges came the kings, for whom the Israelites petitioned in their desire of imitating the government of the surrounding nations. These books contain great mysteries concerning the coming of the Messiah. Heli, the priest, and Saul, the king, prefigure in their death the reprobation of the old law. Sadoc and David typified the new reign and priesthood of Christ, and also the church with the small number which were to belong to it in comparison to the rest of men in the world. The other kings of Israel and Judea and their captives pre-signify other great mysteries of the holy church. During the aforesaid times lived the most patient Job, whose words are so mysterious that there is not one without its profound sacramental meaning concerning the life of Christ our Lord, the resurrection of the dead, and the last judgment in the same flesh, in which each one lives, and concerning the violence and astuteness of the demons and their warfare against men. Above all, has God placed him as an example of patience for us, mortals, for in him we all may learn how we are to bear our adversities, especially as we have before our eyes the death of Christ. Whereas the saints saw him only at such a distance, and yet imitated him so closely." In the writings of the many great prophets, moreover, which God sent in the time of the kings to provide the special necessities, not one of the great mysteries and sacraments pertaining to the coming of the Messiah and his law remained undeclared or unrevealed. The same thing, although more at a distance, God accomplished in the ancient fathers and patriarchs. In all this, he only multiplied the likeness, and as it were, the patterns of the incarnate word, and prearranged and prepared for him a people and the law which he was to teach. In the three great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he deposited great and precious pledges, calling himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wished to honor himself in the name at the same time that he honored them, manifesting his dignity and his excellent virtues and sacraments, and confiding them to their care, in order that they might furnish so honorable a name to God. 
the patriarch Abraham, in order to prefigure vividly that which the Eternal Father was to do with his only begotten, was tempted and tried by the command to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Genesis 22.1 When, however, this obedient father was about to complete the sacrifice, the same Lord who had given the commandment impeded its execution. For such a heroic sacrifice was to be reserved to the Eternal Father, who alone was to sacrifice, in effect, his only begotten. Only in a symbolic manner can Abraham be said to have done the same. For thus it will appear that the zeal of divine love is strong as death. It was not, however, beseeming that such an expressive figure should remain altogether unaccomplished, and therefore the sacrifice of Abraham was fulfilled by the killing of a ram, being likewise a figure of the lamb which was to pay for the sins of the world. John 129 to Jacob, was shown the mysterious ladder, full of sacraments and hidden import. Principally to represent the incarnate word as the way and the means of ascending to the Father and of descending to us, on it also ascend and descend the angels who illuminate and guide us, bearing us up in their hands so that we may not stumble over the rocks of the errors, heresies, and vices with which the path of mortal life is strewn. In the midst of them we pass securely up the stairs in the faith and the hope of his holy church, which is the house of the Lord, the portal of heaven and holiness. In order to make him the god of Pharaoh and the leader of his people, he showed to Moses the mystical thorn bush, which burned without being consumed, and which foreshadowed the divinity covered with our humanity, leaving the divinity intact by the humanity, and the humanity unconsumed by the divinity." At the same time, it also signified the perpetual virginity of the mother of the word, not only of her body, but of her soul, so that although she was a daughter of Adam and came vested in, a, in the sin-tainted nature derived from Adam, she nevertheless was without stain or offense. He raised also for himself David, according to his own heart, 1 Kings 13.14, who worthily sang the praise of the Most High, comprehending in his psalms all the sacraments and mysteries, not only of the law of grace, but of the written and natural law, and with the testimonies, judgments, and works of the Lord, which were pronounced by his lips. David also treasured up in his heart, meditating on them day and night. In pardoning his enemies, he was an express image and figure of God forgiving us. Thus all his promises concerning the coming of the Redeemer were made more certain to the world. Solomon, the king of peace, was an image of the king of kings, for by his great wisdom he manifested in different kinds of writings the sacraments and mysteries of Christ, especially in the similitudes of the canticles. For there he exposed the mysteries of the incarnate word of the Most Holy Mother, of his church, and of the faithful. He also taught right behavior in different ways, opening up a fountain of truth and life, giving knowledge for many other writers. But who can worthily exalt the benefits he provided for his people in the praiseworthy host of holy prophets, through whom the Lord has spread the light of prophecy, lighting up as from afar the holy church and commencing in advance to shed the rays of the Son of Justice and of the efficacious law of grace. The two great prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, were chosen to preach to us in a sweet and exalted manner the mysteries of the incarnation of the Word, His birth, life, and death. Isaiah promised us that a virgin should conceive and give birth to a son who would call himself Emmanuel, 
that a little son shall be born to us who shall bear his kingdom on his shoulder, Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6. All the rest of the life of Christ he proclaims with such clearness that his prophecies are like a gospel. Jeremiah announces the unheard of wonder that God will cause a woman to bear in her a man who is at the same time to be a God and perfect man who alone can be Christ. Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-two. He announced his coming, his passion, ignominy, and death. Wonder and suspense filled me in the consideration of these prophets. Isaiah asks the Lord to send the Lamb, which is to rule the world from the rocks of the desert to the mountains of the daughter of Zion. For this Lamb, the incarnate word, calls the heavens a desert, whereas God, he dwelt without the society of men. He calls him rock on account of the stability of his throne and of the unaltered rest of eternity which he enjoys. The mountain from which he is asked to come is the mystical sense, the holy church, and first of all, the most holy Mary, the daughter of the vision of peace, that is Zion. The prophet interposes her as the mediatrix to induce the eternal father to send his only begotten, the lamb. For in all the rest of the human race there was nothing to influence him, so much as to have her as his mother, who was to clothe him with all the spotless fleece of the most holy humanity. All this is contained in that most sweet prayer and prophecy of Isaiah. Ezekiel also saw the virgin mother in the figure and likeness of the closed gate, Ezekiel 44.2, which was open only for the God of Israel and through which no other man could enter. Habakkuk contemplates Christ our Lord on the cross, and the most profound words prophesies the mysteries of the redemption and the wonderful effects of the passion and death of our Redeemer. Joel describes the land of the twelve tribes, prefiguring the apostles who were to be the heads of all the sons of the church. He also announces the descent of the Holy Ghost upon his servants and handmaids, foretelling the time of the coming and of the life of Christ. And all the other prophets announced in part the same thing, for God wished all his great works to be announced, prophesied, and prefigured far in advance and so completely that they might testify the love and care which he had for men and with which he enriched his church. He wished also to reprehend us and convict us of our lukewarmness, since these ancient fathers and prophets, seeing only the shadows and figures, were inflamed with divine love and broke forth in canticles of praise and exaltation of the Lord. Whereas we, who enjoy the truth and the bright day of grace, remain buried in forgetfulness of so great benefits, and forsaking the light, continue to seek the darkness. This concludes our reading today for day 20 of The Mystical City of God in a Year. Today we read chapter 11 of book 1, volume 1. It was paragraphs 147 to 163. I don't know about you, but I just feel like I sat through a scripture class. It brought me back to the days of introduction to the Old Testament and college. Brought me back also uh, to seminary days and in, in, uh, major seminary as well, studying the scriptures, taking Pentateuch, for example, studying the prophets. And what a beautiful way that she explains to us everything in the Old Testament. And that's the reality, that what is written in the Old Testament is pointing towards the future. And that just as we heard at the very end, that everything should be prophesied and prefigured, well, that's what we see. Look all throughout the Old Testament. 
and you see how Christ is being anticipated. Just yesterday, we talked about the fall of Adam and Eve, their fall from grace. And so that's a prefigurement, that there's going to be a new Adam and a new Eve, and that there's going to be a restoration in the order of grace. And it comes to us through Jesus because Mary gives us Jesus. We heard, and you know, I commented on this in the very early days, I remember, of the podcast of this reading. I talked about the burning bush and how that was a symbol of Mary's virginity. We hear it today from the mouth of Maria of Agreda here in chapter 11. We also heard about that reference in Ezekiel, the closed gate. Again, this kind of speaks and alludes to the perpetual virginity of Mary, that her womb and how Christ has given birth, that she remains a virgin during the birth of Christ. There's that beautiful antiphon, the Alma Redemptoris Mater, that, tells, that says that Mary remained a virgin after as before, so that in giving birth, she remains perpetually a virgin. We know that the prophets uh, prophesied about the Blessed Mother. We know those prophecies quite well. And just to see kind of the order of salvation history being recounted. I know many of you who are listening, you probably have done the Bible in a Year podcast with Father Michael Schmitz, and, or maybe you're doing it right now, or maybe you haven't read the Bible in its entirety, and that's okay too. But just to think about all of those different books of the Bible and to realize, wow, I don't know if I've read that book. And maybe that's an invitation for us to go and to look uh, and examine those books of the Bible. To know the story of salvation is to have a great familiarity with the Word of God. In the letter to the Hebrews, it says that the Word of God is effective and true. It pierces more surely than a two-edged sword. So every time we hear the Word of God, it touches our heart, it transforms our heart, it helps us to become a better follower of Jesus, to have that greater longing for the kingdom of heaven. Our reading ended today with this line. He wished also to reprehend us and convict us of our lukewarmness, since these ancient fathers and prophets, seeing only the shadows and figures, were inflamed with divine love. And so we might have become lukewarm, but as we hear the word of God, it moves us beyond complacency. It moves us to a greater love of God and wanting to please him every day of our life. That's what we strive to do. I'm Father Edward Looney. And today you've been listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. Throughout the year, I'm reading these mystical revelations of Maria of Agreda, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.